Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to All Stats Out We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Martin Riley, the home kit launch of the podcast. Finally, Tom Hossie-Kundal can shut up. And I'm joined by the first pre-season friendly of the podcast, Dan Holdsworth, in a local venue and guaranteed to be a morale booster, right? And finally, I'm joined by the imminent first sign of the transfer window of the podcast, no wait, he's just signed for Southampton, and someone is neck deep in mud. It's Adam Elliott. How are you doing today, Adam? Yeah, I'm really good. Um, good to be back. I'm, I'm excited to get going on, on one of these again. Yeah, it's, it's great to ha- have you back. It wasn't that, that long ago. What is your for tea, Martin? I've not actually had my tea. This is oh my um, gosh. unfounded territory. Well, but my, my missus is a bit poorly, so oh, and uh, so I, I just haven't really been hungry, so I'm going to have have some, some something small after I've done this because I don't like cooking when it's just for, for myself. And I feel a bit mean tucking into a big dinner when my mist is poorly. <laughs> so yeah. And how about you? What, what have you eaten? Um, I had a veggie burger. It was a spicy veggie burger and it was delicious. Um, just, just something small again. I don't like having too much for a pod. Just I'm too busy like prep working and all that. But yeah, um, I'm good. I'm, I'm ready to get going. Good stuff, good stuff. And how about you, Dan? How are you doing? I'm good, mate. I'm good, thanks. Um, Adam's straight in with the questions on the food. He's getting the swing of this, isn't he? He is. It's, uh, it's funny. I've got a colleague at work who's listened to a couple of pods, and he, and he said, oh, I love the pod, Dan, but what's all the food talk about? <laughs> Get on with the pub football. So, Jonathan, if you're listening to this one, sorry, mate, but tonight I had... Um, Sea bass with noodles oh. and, and, and broccoli, kind of Asian style, you know. No, it was okay. It's fine. Overcooked Fancy. Yeah. Sea bass. Sea bass, yeah. indeed. That's yeah, great. yeah, yeah. Good to hear. Okay. So, uh, so we aren't here to talk about food. So Jonathan can be relieved. We'll get straight into the football. So first of all, we'll talk about a bit of the news that's been happening. Um, we've had a few outgoings since the last time we had a pod. Um, Brendan Aronson has confirmed to be joining Union Berlin. 
and Mark Rocker is close to joining Real Batiste, and Rodrigo has been confirmed to be joining Al Ryan. So we've had a fair few outgoings, and I believe Rocker and Aronson are both loans with no option. Is that correct? Sounds correct from today. Yeah. And Rodrigo was about three million quid. Yeah, it's just a release, a release clause with Rodrigo, isn't it? Indeed. Yeah, so... Well, at least some money brought in. Yes, uh, Sikros can finally ha- add something to his sheet and some sort of incoming, even if it is less than what he put down. <laughs> and so another incoming was a new goalkeeper, goalkeeper coach, uh, which was signed from Norwich. Um, I didn't write his name down, which is Wooten. very unprofessional of me. What is it? Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. That does ring a bell. So, yes, we've got a new goalkeeper coach who his park is familiar with, and that, I'm sure that will help things out. And other news, we're trying to sign Brentford's technical director, Lee Dykes. So that was pretty big news, and that was quite exciting. I don't want to give my hopes up because that he would be a pretty big coup, I think, in terms of a, di- a director of football or technical director, however you want to call it. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, yeah, big time. I know last year when there was a lot of talk of Manchester United getting a technical director and Tottenham changes theirs, he was linked big time with those roles. Just a, just quite an interesting guy. He's he's actually, I listened to an interview with him a few weeks back and they didn't realise he's, he's a Hull guy and he actually started out playing rugby league and he was on the uh, the Hull FC rugby league club books as a, as a junior. But he gave that up to kind of pursue a career in football but had to give it up uh, through injury. I think he was playing semi-pro but that wasn't clear. So he started, but his, his, his interesting route, he was a coach, like an academy coach at Rotherham, worked through the system at Rotherham, ended up scouting for a few guys and working as an assistant coach and a scout and then a technical director. And he and he eventually finished up at Berry. Now, if you remember, Berry had a really good team that got promoted from League Two and then went bankrupt a year or so later. He was kind of involved at Berry at that point. But I think his work at Berry got him in at Brentford as the technical director underneath the director of football. And, and he's been at Brentford for about, what, three, four years now, I think. I could say quite an interesting guy. He was, he was behind the Mbwemo signing, Ivan Tony, um, the goalkeeper whose name escapes me now, oh, uh, David right. Rea from Blackburn. Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's, he's behind a lot of those transfers at Brentford. They were his deals. That they, you know, he talked about those deals on this interview I listened to. Just and just comes across as a really, really like interesting, sharp guy with a, a varied background. So yeah, kind of. I don't understand why he would consider Leeds at the moment. And now. So this is what I've been thinking about, but partly part of me thinks maybe because he's a whole guy, he wants to move back up north. Maybe that was that was a speculation on my part. Perhaps he's, he's after his own project. But anyway, like yeah, don't get your hopes up, guys. But I think this guy's pretty impressive, and I think I'd be really really pleased if we got him in. So yeah, I would agree with all that. It's uh, sounds like an interesting career path that he's had, and it's good, yeah, good, absolutely, it's good to know that bit of background about him. Adam, do you have anything to say about this? No, not really. I think that I kind of echo what Dan said, and he does seem like he's at least got some really good bits of recruitment right over the last few years, but we'll wait and see. I'm not really got my hopes up in terms of the like technical director, sporting director sort of side of things yet, because I think there's probably a lot more work to be done. And like initially they did say that they were going to wait till October to do that. So I, I take everything I hear with that with a pinch of salt. They might have changed the goalpost. They might do it earlier, but who knows? Yep, that sounds fair. And um, also we did actually bring some, in some other signings, um, some youth team signings, unfortunately. <laughs> Nothing for the first team yet, but we got uh, Ross McDonald from Hamilton Academical and Lewis Pirry from Aberdeen. Um, both, from, I would imagine, are signings for the youth side. So um, we can sign players, which is a good thing to hear. So I would imagine that the takeover isn't holding anything up too much. 
but it could just be because these guys will be on pretty small wages, so it's not really something which they have to pull up too many trees about. But either way, it's good. It's good news. And final bit of news was the friendly against Manchester United. We lost. It's um, not good news. No, we did. Well, <laughs> the, the, new, the news about we had from football at least. Uh, so what did everyone think about that? That I, I thought there was a few inter- interesting things to be seen. It, it felt very much like a friendly though, didn't it? Like it was quite cagey. Um, it wasn't like too many chances for either team. There was some like fairly nice bits of play occasionally and stuff, but like nothing to get carried away with. At the same time, like there was a lot of kids out there and it was quite impressive to see a few of them do all right. Um, I was probably most happy with Lewis Bate out of all our players that had a little cameo. And that was just, if anything, just a few passes that he played that were really nice. And he just looked a little bit sharper on the ball than some of our midfielders have over the last few years. And, and in general, it was just nicer to see a little bit of build-up play, even if it was against you know Man United's B team, essentially. And yeah, um, so that was that was nice. But at the same time, like I said, there wasn't like too much to shout about in terms of chances and and whatnot, and yeah, it was it wasn't like the best spectacle ever. But this is preseason, and it's like it, you're sort of warming yourselves up into it. So I wasn't really expecting for it to be much else, to be honest. No, that's fair. I, I wasn't expecting too much from this game. I was probably expecting a much worse scoreline, and I think in in that sense, it's, it could have been more damaging morale morale wise. I realise it's only a friendly, so getting a pacing in friendlies isn't as bad as a pacing in the actual competitive games. There were, there were some nice things which I saw and a few things which I've noticed from Farkas previous sides which were on show last night. Uh, most particularly was uh, Leo Hjelde. Um He was inverting um, quite often in the first half. I noticed that quite a few times. I know we didn't have much possession but when we did have it that was something which I saw quite often. So that does seem like that's something which they've worked on quite early. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's something which Hjelde has really done much when he was at Rotherham. Um, I'm not sure if anyone watched much of him while he was there. Not something I could comment. No, on. no, 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 not something I can comment. No, that's fair. Yeah, but just on the match in general, I thought there were kind of it was kind of green shoots of Fark's Norwich, wasn't it? You know, it kind of the general patterns of play were a little bit mm. like that Norwich team, like you say, the way way Hjelde tucked in and and Drame kind of played the uh, Max Aaron's role a bit, didn't he? A little bit more aggressive, a bit higher at the pitch. Uh, it, you know, the left winger held width quite a bit more than the right winger came in field. So I just thought some of the shapes were kind of reminiscent of that Norwich team a little bit, early days and all that. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. There's only only so much you can tell after only six days of um, training. But yeah, it was good to get some football seen again, and hopefully we'll see more progress in the next game, which I think is is it against Monaco? Is that the next one, or is it, or is it Hearts? I'm not sure. I think it's. I think it's Monaco, then Hearts. Yeah. So, yeah, it's Monaco at York, isn't it? Then Hearts yeah. up in Edinburgh, I think. We've also got um, Nottingham Forest somewhere in all of this as well. We've got one of them against yeah. them. Yeah. Well. Good stuff, good stuff. Okay, so the episode today is the third episode in the Summer Scouting series. Last time we covered defenders, and this time we're covering a bit of a mixed bag with strikers and goalkeepers. Uh, the players who we're going to talk about are ones who have been linked with signing rather than the previous formats in which we found them via data scouting but all data that we will be using today will be from Scout unless otherwise stated. First of all, we'll be covering goalkeepers. 
So what does Daniel Farker want from his goalkeepers? Well, he wants thing all courts wants to begin with, uh, confident shot stoppers, and additionally the ability to command their box, vocally and aerially by claiming crosses and punching without any authority in which they can't grab. But specifically, Farker needs a goalkeeper who is comfortable with the ball at their feet. Quite often the goalkeeper is used to evade pressing patterns by positions, and they need to be able to pass well at short distances and to be able to capable of cute mid-range passes to wider players to press the ball up the field. Um, there's a bit of a disclaimer before we start talking about the goalkeepers um, that we're all pretty inexperienced when it comes to scouting and judging goalkeepers. So uh, take the sort of things we say today with a bit of a pinch of salt. A, a, a good pinch of salt, yeah, I would say. I think per, I think we've all kind of agreed that this is maybe our weakest area in terms of scouting. Like, I'm much better with attacking players and I'm even better with defenders in general. Goalkeepers is a little bit harder to like define and it's also kind of hard to just watch. Like When you're watching individual players, it's it's hard to watch a goalkeeper for a full 90 because the camera's not often <laughs> near him all the time. So things like that are a bit of an issue as well. Yeah, exactly. You just have to kind of skip past bits of outfield play quite heavily. Mm-hmm. Just keep keep going through through the tape. Just so you're just trying to find bits where they have anything got involved. <laughs> and I've definitely missed things as well because of that. So yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, but the first player that we're going to talk about is Rotherham's goalkeeper Victor Johansson, who Adam has been watching. Um, Victor is 24 years old and signed for Rotherham for free in 2020. He played 64 games in the championship and was part of Rotherham's promotion winning side, who finished second in the 21-22 League One season. He was initially a rotation option in goal, but last season he was a number one goalkeeper, playing 43 matches, which included 13 clean sheets. Uh, first of all, Adam, what can you tell me about Victor's goalkeeping, so shot stopping? Unsurprisingly, he is very good in this department. He's obviously quite busy. He's playing for Rotherham. They weren't exactly incredible last season. They did stay up. Um, and in large part, that was down to him, in my opinion, and in many others' opinions as well, to be honest. He is an absolutely top draw shot stopper. Um, and when I'm watching him, in terms of like reflexes and, and reactions, he is really, really sharp. Like That is the thing that you see the most. Um, the positioning's also pretty good. He's I saw a couple of goals where he was being at his near post, but in general, that's not a huge issue and like his positioning tends to be pretty strong and his footwork tends to be strong in that area as well um and it's no surprise that to tell you both that he won the uh player of the season for uh Rotherham last season because he was genuinely excellent and i think we've got the stats in terms of the goals prevented um which is a sort of measure in terms of how good a goalkeeper is is one of the best measures that we have in data analysis and that is uh, that he prevented a post-shot XG of 7.7 so nearly 8 goals which is really really high that's a lot higher than your sort of typical average um, he had a 75.4% save success um, he faced 211 shots in his 43 matches and saved 157 of them but yeah in general he's just a, a really nice goalkeeper in that sense another aspect of his game that I really particularly liked in terms of him as a goalkeeper was his ability to sweep and come out quite quickly um, obviously that can be quite dangerous and, and players can be caught out but he he did that pretty effectively from the, the footage that I saw um, and yeah he didn't really get caught out which is which is really good to see that's great that's great that's what we want is a goalkeeper who is capable of saving a lot of shots and uh, we probably won't be facing as many as what Rotherham have been used to hopefully um, but yeah it's always a good thing um, but moving on how about him when it comes to commanding his box from set pieces um, does, it, does he keep him capable of that um, so yeah yeah um, 
this is one potential first area of weakness that I came across. Like he's not like a, a Kiko Casilla type of like he's going to flap at everything goalkeeper, but he does like to punch when it comes to like set pieces and corners and crosses and anything like that. Any kind of high ball, he he doesn't like catching it very often. And um, I actually spoke to a few Rotherham fans about this because I was kind of interested to know a bit more. And yeah, they they said that. Uh, one area of weakness they they found and it's not many they were very very high praise of him but is that um quite often for corners and free kicks um opposition players will put a man on him he's not the tallest he's about six one and maybe that's kind of an explanation why because uh, for a goalkeeper six one is not huge um and yeah so like because of that he he often was not like i said not necessarily like flapping at stuff or like scared to come out he's pretty confident to come out and do it but he won't come and claim he'll just go for the punch instead um and usually they're pretty good they go at least either to the edge of the box or away enough from the goal that he can you know reposition himself and that's all right but it is definitely something that could be an area of weakness to exploit for opposition fans if we're being like nitpicky it's something that opposition teams will will want to do no, nope, that's fair. It's all good to know about um, any deficiencies, even if they are small and not something which worry you overly, but it's something to keep an eye on. Um, next, what about his ability on the ball? And obviously, he's going to need to be strong with his feet if he wants to come to us. And Rotherham, I don't think they play a very possession-orientated style. So They don't. Um, uh, this is probably the other area of weakness, but it's something that, again, like fans were quite positive about because they said it's something that's improved season upon season with him. Um, but yeah, it's definitely one of the areas that he's a bit weaker on. Like his actual actual accuracy comes up quite well for his longer range and mid range distribution. Um, he's attempting them fairly often, but he's in the sixty ninth percentile for accurate long passes, and he's in the um, I think it's. I can't remember the data. I've not got it to hand. I didn't write it down. But yeah, he's not bad in that sense. His completion was 99.1 for medium passes as well. So that obviously is stupidly high. And I don't think that that's necessarily an issue. But like his short range passing, he doesn't try very often. He was like, I think one of you had it. You said it to me the other day. Like he attempts like very few a game like in general. He was in the 0.03 percentile for passes attempted in the in the in the short to medium range. So yeah, he really doesn't attempt that many passes. But that I think that's a stylistic thing. Yeah, it with, is. With Rotherham. It's definitely a symptomatic thing of of their play style. I guess that's probably the the main thing that I would say might hold him back for, from becoming a really top draw goalkeeper because he's 24, so he's really young for a goalkeeper in terms of goalkeeping age and and years. Um, but if he wanted to be like a, a a sort of decent to good Premier League goalkeeper, you probably need to be better with your feet. So maybe it's something that will improve with time, or maybe it's a stylistic thing. I couldn't really comment to say whether I think it would be an issue for us or not, because I, it, it could be that it's just like Rotherham and it's not necessarily as much him. Um, but yeah, um, another area that I, I meant to mention was that I, I was particularly happy with him for was that he doesn't actually catch the ball very often in terms of shots as well. Um, but what he does do is he tends to parry to good areas, which can often start attacks. And it kind of ties in with, with this, with distribution. Like he he can often like parry into a, a non-dangerous area. So he keeps the ball out, but it goes to a Rotherham player. I don't know if that's luck or if that's kind of like a skill thing you know what i mean this is why our goalkeepers yeah. is hard to to judge but <laughs> quite often he it, it would either 
go out for a corner, it would be a good save to go out for a corner, or it would be parried to an area where a roller and pair picks it up and they can just go straight away. Um, so that was quite a good aspect of him. But like, obviously, that's not something we want him to be doing after we don't have to be saving too many shots. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't really say whether like his short range passing is a major issue. Um, I think we'd have to see if, if he came in. Um, but yeah, uh, he's a he's a really good goalkeeper in general. It's just like there's a couple of small areas of weakness that that are maybe holding him back from being like really, really elite in this in this league or even the league above. No, that's fair. It's possible that it would suit a team who uh, aren't wanting him to do as much with the ball, but who knows? He could he could do that with the right coach and exactly. he could improve his game a lot. So it's no telling. But um, I think you've covered most of the things about his physical profile, but is there anything that you ha- haven't said? Um, yeah, so uh, one thing, this is a, another perception of him. This isn't me. This is the... The guys are not a top 20. I'm sure some people listening will have heard of them and will be aware of who they are. They absolutely love him. And whenever they are high on a player, that's a pretty good sign, to be honest. It's, they, I think they either put him in their team of the season or he was like one they really strongly considered. And I can't remember which, but even if you look at some things like, and I don't really buy into this, but like things like the Y Scout rating and stuff like that, like, and um, while the other apps that people use to to look at players, like in terms of like, oh, he got like a seven point four rating this week for Rotherham, uh, like he was always ranking really well in the championship in terms of like ratings per week, and and not top twenty mentioned that when they talked about him a while back, and yeah, he, like he is just like really highly rated and regarded in the league, and Rotherham fans themselves, and I know people seem to get carried away, but they they basically think he's the best goalkeeper in the league. And if, and if he's not the best, I would genuinely think that he's probably among, among the top sort of three or four from what I've seen. Nope, that's all fair. Thanks for that. And how much do you think he would cost? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because of his age um, and because he's one of Rotherham's best players, probably he's the best player, really, um, they'd probably want a decent fee for him. And, and some Rotherham fans were saying, like, oh, we wouldn't be able to get him for less than, like, 10 million or whatever and I think their record sale is around 2 million which makes me think that 10 million is maybe a little bit high end I don't think that's probably very likely but I could see him going for like 5, 6, 7 million quite easily right now he has 2 years left on his contract I think the likelihood is that we we probably don't sign him because I think we might think there's better options in terms of price even though he is so young and like there is a lot of sort of propensity to improve there with him um I still think that we'd probably look at other options. I think probably five or six million would probably see that done. Um, but I'd, I'd, yeah, like I said, I don't think we'll do it. And I think he'll probably end up getting a move in a year um, when he's got one year left on his contract. I think someone will go in for him for a sort of cut price deal, even if he's had another really, really top season with Rotherham, which wouldn't surprise me at all because he is really good. He recently got called up for Sweden as well, which probably like boosts his valuation a little bit as well. So you have to take that into account. No, definitely. You do need to take that into account. That's always something which boosts a player's value is that they represent the national side and Sweden has exactly a really really low ranked team they've got a few good players in there so it's always a good thing and next I'm going to be handing hosting duties over to Adam so he can quiz me about the player I've been scouting so I'll let you take it away Adam indeed yeah Martin's been scouting Angus Gunn um, is probably a player that quite a few people are familiar with but he's particularly familiar with uh, Daniel Fark um, so it's quite natural that we've already been linked with him He's currently Norwich's number one. He recently has like usurped Tim Krull from the team in the last sort of twelve to eighteen months, and he's now played eighty-five league games for Norwich, uh, of which forty-six were actually under Fark. So that's like again not a surprise that he's he's now linked with us. Um, 
he has some Premier League experience with both Norwich and Southampton, but I don't think we should talk too much about Southampton because I believe he was one of the goalkeepers that shipped nine goals against Leicester. Um, and he has 31 appearances in the top flight. Anyway, yes. So, firstly, Martin, can you talk to me about his shot stopping? Is this one of his main strengths? Well, first of all, I watched quite a lot of the goals which he's conceded. That's one of the things that I did first of all, just watch a bunch of the goals that he's conceded. Try to find games where he's conceded a lot. And I watched around 15 to 20 goals. And in these goals, I didn't notice anything overly concerning with the goals he was he was conceding. And there's one particular game which was against Middlesbrough. And it ended um, with Middlesbrough scoring five goals past Norwich. And weirdly enough, those five goals were from the Middlesbrough's first five shots. It was just an absolutely mental game. There was about four goals scored in the space of eight minutes towards the end of the first half. It was just an insane game. But of, of those goals, none of them, I would say, were his fault. I'm maybe being a bit um, not just overly grateful to him to say that it but maybe some of them could have been, but I didn't think so personally. Uh, he has some issues getting down low, quickly given his height is six foot five, um, but the, so that would be expected. His shot stopping stats were just frankly superb last season. His post shot xG figure stands at plus eight point two, which means that when compared to the quote unquote average goalkeeper, he kept out eight additional goals. And on top of this, he had a 71% save success rate, uh, face, facing an average four, four shots on target per 90. So he's got a fair amount of good going for him when it comes to shot stopping. And Norwich were pretty, pretty loose at times like last season. They had a fair few games where they did concede a fair few few goals. But it's one of those things where, the because they were that open at times, that the shots that they were facing were higher quality than they appeared. And sometimes the Post shot XG numbers can improperly rate shots. I, I find, uh, especially because it doesn't take into account where the goalkeeper's standing, and it doesn't take into account where the, how the shot is being hit by the by the player as well. So it's just some of the things which aren't quite always there. Which so I think if the post shot XG figures were more accurate, it would probably come out even better in this. To be honest. Um, but yeah, just how I have nothing, no worries about him when it comes to shot stopping. And if he was signed for us, he'd probably concede five in his first game just to wind me up. <laughs> but no, he's uh, he's got good positioning when it comes to facing down 1v1s as well, which is something that I liked. He gets out quite quickly and I saw a few goals which he presented with those sort of movements where he quickly gets out. And yeah, just I'm very happy with what I saw when it comes to shot stopping with Angus. I, for one, cannot wait for Aaron Ramsey's debut at Ellen Road for Cardiff, his second debut at Ellen Road for Cardiff, because he is re-signing for them, and for him to score a hat-trick against Angus Gunn, and it's going to be really, really good fun. Um, anyway, it does it, that, that all sounds really promising, to be honest, and, and like I, I echo what you're saying. He, is, he seems to be a really, really good shot stopper. I've never really seen an issue with Gunn in that regard. And yeah, uh, what would you say about his cross-handling in terms of like carry uh, catching the ball and things like that how does he handle crosses well it's just one which is difficult to find is um cross claiming when you're watching you think you have to watch quite a lot of mm-hmm. time to, to mm-hmm. find them but jeremy washman i did notice him confidently claim quite a few crosses um so that, that was good i didn't notice him fumbling with it he's got a good height and very long arms which aid him when he's trying to claim the ball he's not too slender as well which means that he should be able to claim balls well while he's under pressure so if it's someone just jumping for the header he should be able to muscle them out of the way um, but his data does show that he doesn't often challenge for crosses in the box only claiming around four percent of the crosses which come in so it, that was quite low um 
But like I said, it is quite hard to find good examples of this unless you watch a full season's worth of games. But yeah, um, what I did see, I didn't have any anything to complain about. Good, good. Um, now let's talk about like his ability with the ball. And obviously this is going to be an important thing. He has worked under Farker before, so you expect him to sort of know what's coming towards him and things like that. And like in terms of how what he's expected to do and how he's expected to build up the ball and things like that. But but tell me a little bit more about that. Is he, is he a confident goalkeeper in terms of playing out from the back? Most definitely. Um, in my time watching him, I found myself very impressed with his passing. He's confident to play passes short while under pressure. I didn't see him once clear a ball long when he was being pressured by a striker. And I also didn't see him once fail to make the pass which he was trying to make, which is just... Fantastic to see from, from a goalkeeper. Um, one one sort of pass which I saw, which I especially liked, you know those sort of chipped passes out to the, to the fullback, which we saw Melier f- try and fail to do very, very often. Yeah. The, those sort of passes, he's great at. He's re- really good at those sort of chipped passes, cute ones just at, out, out to the wide areas, which really aids when you've got a team pressing you high. And I tried to make sure I found games where the, the opponents were pre- pressing quite high. So I found games against the better teams in the championship when I was watching him. And yeah, he was great with that sort of stuff. He helped Norwich to keep hold of the ball and play the way they, they wanted to play. And ra- rather than going for an easier pass, he would often go for more difficult ones. So if he had someone pressured him from one area, rather than going to a safe pass just to, to the full-back, he would try to through a more central pass, which I could see maybe could get him into trouble at some point. But that's the sort of thing that you want from a goalkeeper when you play in the, in the professional style, because you want them to be confident in playing harder passes. And that's something which... I was very happy with, and the stats also show that he's very good at that. Um, he completed one hundred percent of his short passes, according to um, FB Ref, which is just insane, and ninety eight point eight percent of his mid range passes as well, and a respectable forty eight percent of his long passes. So yeah, um, I'm very very happy with him on the ball. Good, good. And so you've kind of covered a lot of his physical and technical bases there. But is there anything else you'd wanted to add? Uh, well. I think I, I think I covered that he's got a good size and good, he's got long legs as well, which will help him to make save with his feet. But he's got a good solid up build in his upper body, which will help him in aerial battles, like I've already mentioned, being six foot five. So he's got a lot of height to him. Um, but that also height does make it difficult for him to get down to low shots. So that's some, something to keep an eye on. But no, physically, he's a good build for a goalkeeper, I think. I was more than happy with that. I have one quick question for you both. Are you both old enough to have watched his dad play? No. Brian Gunn. Have you not heard of him? I've heard of him, but I don't think I've watched him. Dan? I think I think I did see him when I was a kid, but I don't really... I can't really remember him that much. I just wanted to make you both feel really old. Um, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, Martin, how much did you think he would cost, roughly speaking? And uh, bear in mind, he is also now an international. He's declared for Scotland as well, if you didn't know. Yeah. No, I didn't know that, actually. So that's good Good to know. Uh, well, his contract expires in two years, and he's been with, with Norwich a while. So I'd imagine he's a, key, a player who they probably might want to keep, so they're not having to replace. But um, I still don't think he would cost loads. Probably between 8 and £10 million, I think, which is a fair amount for, I think, a, I'd say a near-prime-age goalkeeper. I think prime for a goalkeeper is a little bit... He's 27 at the moment, so he's coming into that time when he's going to be in his prime and playing the best one a goalkeeper will usually anyway so I think it would be a fairly costly one compared to maybe some goalkeepers we could go for but I think it would be worth it because it's a player which Fark knows and 
he would be able to slot into, into the system a lot faster than some other goalkeepers maybe. So yeah, I think it would be worth the investment. That's a very, very good point. Um, and he is probably one of the better goalkeepers in the championship just from like what I know already about the championship. Um, lovely stuff. Are we going to move on to Dan's player now? Yes, indeed. So I'll take over back the hosting. So Dan has been watching Freddie Woodman. And Freddie Woodman is currently playing for... Who is he playing for? Preston Norman? North End. Preston North End, that's it. Uh, really like yep. I didn't read that, write an introduction for Freddie. Have you got anything about Freddie's background, Dan? Um, well, Freddie Woodman's dad also played he professional is. football. Now, I don't... I don't remember him, but he was a coach at Newcastle, mm. and I do. And I think Freddie came to Newcastle when his dad was a coach there under Pardew. Yes. So it was the Pardew era. I think he's basically he was a pal of Pardew. I think they played together at Palace in the eighties or whatever. His dad, and they were drinking buddies as well. I think. And Freddie got taken up at Newcastle, but actually was genuinely a good young keeper. Mm-hmm. So he, he came through the Newcastle academy, and I think he's had a few loans out. I forget where he's been at Swansea, hasn't he? Had a good time yeah, at, Swansea. Good at Swansea. In fact. Was Freddie Goodman? Uh, Freddie Wood- Goodman was Freddie Woodman the goalkeeper when we got promoted at Swansea with the Pablo goal? I, mean, it, it wasn't I the think it promotion. was. Yeah, I think it was. But you know, we all know the goal I'm talking yeah. about. I think he was that keeper. Yeah, he was at Swansea then. Anyway, so he was at Newcastle and moved around on loan quite a bit, and he signed for Preston at the start of last season. I think mm-hmm. I can't remember how much for a couple of million quid or something like that. So yeah, that, that's that's his background. He's 26 years old. So, kind of good age. I, I guess he's, he's making his first real proper stride strides in, in the game as a as a first choice keeper rather than a lone keeper somewhere. And that, that's you know he's kind of making his name at Preston with that. Good stuff, Dan. Uh, so, first of all, I want to talk about the thing which we want our goalkeepers to be good at, and that's shot stopping. Can Freddie be counted on between the six? Pretty much. I've got fine. Not wow. Is <laughs> my first comment. Okay. So, pr- pretty good one on one. I saw him make some really good kind of like uh, he's he's got like a good judgment. So, when to hold his line or when to rush the striker. There was one game I watched against Sheffield United towards the end of last season and he came out and rushed James McAtee and it was like a 0.5 XG that McAtee turned into a 0.72 but he got out and blocked it. Really good save, really impressed with that. There's another couple of occasions where he could have rushed out and didn't held his position and, and it worked quite well. So I felt his kind of when to go and when to stay work was really good. That was probably a real strong point. His hands are pretty good. Anything close to him, anything high, all that kind of stuff, good. Handling's great, like really good firm kind of good fundamentals <clears throat> shot stopping one one concern i have is kind of lateral movement so any any shots that are kind of really close to the far stick there's a couple of occasions i saw goals go in across the fast far goal and i i just felt he was slow across the goal really slow going side to side and i just wonder if that's a bit of a a weak spot of his like i say i saw it two three times i thought oh could he have got close to that one could he stop that one uh, and so that was my big concern but generally speaking shot stopping pretty good but not not wow not you know not not terrible. So in terms of his numbers, his, his kind of numbers are actually really good, which kind of doesn't necessarily match what I saw on the tape. So in terms of prevented goals per 90.10, which puts him in the 76th percentile, according to Scout, like 74% save rate, which just puts him in the 89th percentile. And he had a plus 0.77 uh, post-shot XG. So again, really similar numbers to to to, to the Rotherham keeper whose name's gone. <laughs> Johansson, yeah. I was going to call him Jorgensen then, but it's Johansson, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I've actually just realised that I put the wrong stats in that section, so that I'll, oh, that. I'll read out the correct stats now. Um, his you dummy there. His preventive, yeah, I have. His preventive goals per 90 were minus 0.15, <laughs> so it's the opposite of what was on there, so he's in the 20.5 percentile. <laughs> right. So your eyes and weren't you know lying, what? That, Dan. 
that's really good. My eyes weren't lying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So well, that's really that's good. Good. I'm glad I watched the tape. <laughs> and his save success rate was sixty nine point one one, so fifty one point five five, so around average. Yeah. Okay. So that kind of matches how I feel about him. Like, like pretty good, but not not blowing mm-hmm. me away. Yeah. So I apologise for putting the wrong stats in there. That's um, all right. <laughs> but how about what about handling crosses? Um, does, does he punch more or is he a catch guy? Pretty, uh, I would say catch guy. Again, because he was good off his line, when to go and when not to go. I thought his judgment on crosses was pretty good. When to sit and wait, when to go and punch or catch. Mostly a catcher. I'm a bit frustrating, actually. I watched. I tried to watch him versus Millwall, thinking Millwall are pumping with crosses, and they didn't. Like, <laughs> so I was like, come on, man. <laughs> come on, do me a favour. Yeah, the, the, the joys of scouting. But yeah, no, just pretty good. I, I didn't see any problems actually. I'm completely happy with that element. I mean, he's not, you know, not a massive guy, but he didn't feel like a massive like someone who really commanded it. But he just seemed to make good calls and good judgment on that respect. So yeah, fairly happy on that front. Good stuff. And how about when the ball's at his feet? Is he, is he going to play at goalkeeper who will panic, or is he comfortable? Comfortable. Um, comfortable. So his numbers, he doesn't. So Preston don't do a lot of build up for the keeper. You know, they've got really low numbers in terms of passing out from the back. He doesn't do a lot, but I found some examples of him doing it, and he was actually pretty comfortable doing it. No concerns from that on that front. The only thing I would say is I didn't really see him do it under pressure. He never just did it under pressure. So I think they're just a anti-pressure type thing. So he wasn't doing it in risky situations and trying to build up, but. When he did do it, it was kind of clean. One thing I thought he was pretty good, and the numbers don't really match this up. Actually, was his long? I thought his long balls looked quite good. I know his his long passes. He's coming up with uh, accurate long passes of eight point six four per ninety, which only puts him in the fifty six percentile. But I saw him ping some really nice balls out to the wingers and long balls and stuff. So I wonder if it's maybe. I thought the balls were pretty good, and, and if he was pinging a ball out to a, a Jack Harrison or someone, a better target winger, if you like, you might see you might see him um, that success rate go up. So I thought his long balls were pretty good, and it was safe and sensible with the short short range passing. So no major concerns. But I wasn't like again, I wasn't like, well, this guy's you know the second coming of Manuel Neuer, <laughs> Manuel Neuer or anything. But no, you know, we're going to talk good. about him later. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, he comes later. Yeah. Good yeah. stuff. So that sounds like there's a maybe it could be serviceable in possession. Would you say? Yeah, I would say I would think so. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't have any massive concerns. I'd want to see him under pressure and you know against a high pressing team, but you don't get many of those in the champ. And Preston were really really risk averse with that. It just if if it was if he was under pressure, he was pumping it. No, that's you know so well, yeah, that's fair enough. And is there anything that you haven't mentioned about him physically, or have you covered that? No, he's not. He's not. He's not the biggest guy. He's six one, six two, something like that. It's quite a slight build. I didn't see him getting bullied, but he's not the biggest of guys. But like I say, his, his judgment print seemed pretty good. Uh, like I say, when to come out, when to go. So not a massive concern. Twenty six year old, so prime age, probably just coming into his prime as a keeper. I think that's probably a little bit later than outfield players. So that's that's good. Just it's just. It's a bit of a. <laughs> I wrote down here is the Nat Phillips of goalkeeping. He's just fine, <laughs> you know. No, no. <laughs> it's like I want if we if we signed him, I wouldn't be blown away, but I wouldn't be concerned. I'd be more than happy to see him in goal. I think he'd, he'd have a perfectly sensible season. Mm. I think the 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 ratings you see on you know on, on football Twitter and stuff probably a bit over the top for me, but it's fine. Yeah. That's fair. And how much do you think he would cost? I think he might be expensive because he's like I say, he's young. He's got a long contract. Like transfer market had him valued at eight million euros, I think. So I'm I'm surprised if it comes in something like that, eight million quid. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't think it'd be cheap for the champ. 
No, that, that's fair. I think with these sort of age goalkeepers who do tend to be a little bit more expensive than what you would get for a more like 30, 31-year-old goalkeeper. But yeah. Gunn and Woodman have had um, a particularly good upbringing, both of those guys as well, which I think factors in like in terms of they came through the England youth setup together. They were both in England on the 21 yeah. side and stuff like that together. Yeah. And I think that counts for something too because obviously they, they kind of get that extra bit of coaching that maybe you don't always get um, other championship teams like Preston are not necessarily the most like team at building the ball up but for England's youth setup he would have been like taught to do yep. that loads and same with Gunn yep that's also something to know it's always a good thing about the upbringings that's good um, there were some other players who we considered talking about plus we ended up going mm-hmm. for the goalkeepers who we're linked, we've been linked with because it just makes more sense but the other goalkeepers we looked, we had in the notes was a Yevan Duf at Stad Reims and a Jao Virginia who's was on loan from Everton at Camber in the Eredivisie and a Philip Stankovic who's at Volendam on loan from Inter so they all showed up good in the data but we just didn't have time to scout them with all the rest that we've been doing today but is there, is there any goalkeepers that either of you two um, like? Um, no, not particularly. Um, I've obviously just looked at the ones we've been linked to, and obviously we haven't even touched on the one that um, we're probably going to sign, which is Carl Darlow. We'll talk about him in a minute, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, the, the the final one that we're going to talk about in a bit, bit more detail is Carl Darlow, because I think he's probably one of the ones which has been most heavily linked with signing. Uh, so we'll I'll come to Adam first. Have you got anything you want to say about Darlow? He's kind of just like, and I've watched this guy for years. I think most of us have seen like a little bit of him here and there and stuff, but he's just fine, like a bit like Woodman. Um, the the differences I would say is that he's like extremely vocal. I would say like he's constantly talking to his his backline and giving them encouragement and stuff like that, which is quite nice. I think he'd be a, a good like head to add into the dressing room. He's he's thirty two, so he's pretty experienced, but obviously he's not played loads and loads of football because he's been Newcastle's backup goalkeeper for a while. It's just that at the end of uh, last season, from January onwards. He went on loan to Hull, um, where he was really well liked and really well thought of there. The Hull fans really liked him and, and were really impressed by him. Um, yeah, I would just say he's not that spectacular. I think if I was comparing him and Johansson, Johansson's highlight reel and, and save reel is is something really, really good. Like you you see particularly stunning saves on a regular basis. I wouldn't say you see that with Darlow. Um I I like the way he commands his area. He's he's pretty good in that respect. He's tall. He's like six three. Um, all of that's fine. The area of particular weakness in his game and has been for years is his distribution's awful. And I think that's why I'm a little bit concerned by him being maybe the current top target for us. And I don't know, like in terms of a, a shot stop, he'll be more than acceptable. But like for Fark's team, especially in the Premier League, I think it's going to be more of an issue when he's pressed more and, and we're trying to play out from the back. It's, I think it's going to be a massive issue. In the Championship, we might get away with it. It might be all right. But I think in the Premier League, we might be looking for a, a better number one and to drop him into number two spot if we do get promoted. So I'm just not huge on him in terms of a long-term thing. It's just that because he's obviously like third or fourth choice now in Newcastle, he's not wanted that he's only got a couple of years left in his contract there. They just want to cash in and it's going to cost not very much for us to get him, which is probably why we're doing it. it saves us a bit of money to, to do more elsewhere, I guess. That's all fair. Um, some things which you said there this didn't track with, with the data which I'd pulled up on him. Um, obviously, this, this is championship data, but bearing in mind. Uh, so it's obviously a bit different to what most people have seen of him when he's playing in the Premier League. But um, distribution-wise, his numbers are actually very strong. Um, he has he completes twenty six short and medium passes per ninety, that which puts him in the ninety, nearly the ninety ninth percentile 
So that's extremely high amongst the leagues that we're tracking. And the his completion rate for those type of passes is 97.98, which is about the 60th percentile. Uh, long passes, he puts out quite a lot of those, 9.9 per 90, which is 73rd percentile. And he's pretty accurate with those as well, but still a pretty low percentile, really, uh, in 13th. And his actual prevented goals per 90 were also very strong. Uh, last season, he had 0.22 per 90, so that was the 87th percentile which is pretty high compared to some of the ones that we've had. I think he's maybe the one of the highest that we've had so far. But yeah, because he's only on, on loan for half season to Hull, wasn't he? He was, yeah. And that's interesting, yeah. though. I mean, it's interesting that it shows up well with Hull. Maybe it's, like, obviously, the step down to the championship, maybe he has a bit more time on the ball and stuff like that, and maybe being asked to play out a bit more and stuff. And he's more refined than he used to be. I just remember him at Newcastle being particularly really poor in that area. So... It's, it's possible that it's improved with time and I can't really speak about did, whole. Go on, Dan. Didn't he, didn't he play mostly for Steve Bruce at Newcastle? Indeed. Yeah, and now I, I've got... I know a Hull fan at work who, who goes quite a bit and he's he really he thought it was really good for them in the second half of the season. So, I mean, anecdotal, but I know the Hull fans in general were really keen. Yeah, they were. And I think, I think, I think they're worried that we're going to nick him, actually. So, which is generally, I mean, you know, football fans, but it's not a bad sign, is it? No. no, exactly. Another thing which which came up really strong in the data was um, goalkeeper line exits. Um, if anyone's not familiar with that, that's when a goalkeeper leaves his line to claim ball. So he's in the 94th percentile for that. So he seems to be really confident in claiming balls, at least by the day. Yeah, yeah. Is that, anyway. is that is that like that that shows he's aggressive or that shows he's got a success rate? as well, I guess. That, well, that that just means he comes out quite yeah. often um, compared to the right. Yeah. Because my view of him. More anecdotal is that he's quite an, he's quite a he's quite a an aggressive keeper yeah. or uh, you know a, a proactive yeah, keeper. Yeah. Is probably a way of saying it. He'll, he'll take command of situations, which you know can, can be can be great. I guess with younger keepers, they can they can make errors, can't they, and fly past the ball and things. <laughs> but but he's past that. I mean, one thing I've always felt about Carl Dallow is he's kind of yeah, like I say, he's, he's quite aggressive and he's kind of like yeah, a lot of personality and he kind of you know he tries to and it's it's kind of a tries to stamp himself his authority on the game, doesn't he, a little bit and and, and kind of say this is my area, which is kind of I a like very an intangible type type thing. It's not really what it's, we're about it's a here. Bit but the opposite of Melier as well, which I guess he's a little bit. He comes across yeah. more timid and and not quite like that. Whereas Darlow seems quite loud, like you say. I agree with that. You can you can imagine you can imagine Darlow making a great save, a penalty save or something, and making a you know fuss about him, <laughs> you know, chest pumping and getting the crowd going and can't even stuff. The Leeds Dars are loving, yeah, won't they? Yeah. <laughs> it's like... He's also really handsome, so they'll definitely love him. <laughs> oh yeah, well the wives might do. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, funny you mentioned there about penalty saves that, that's one, something I actually forgot to mention about um, Angus Gunn um, I saw him save penalty in the games that I was watching I wasn't even looking for it either it was just a ran- random game where they had quite a lot of XG against them so I thought oh, I'll watch that and yeah he saved a penalty and he was pretty well saved penalty as well so that's another thing to put down for him but is Carl Darlow the second coming of Manuel Neuer because just before we started this podcast today it came out we've been linked with the Bayern Munich goalkeeper Alexander Nubel. Uh, I can't really say much about him other than his early career. He was quite highly rated. And now he sort of faded a bit. He went to Monaco on loan. Don't think they were particularly loving him at first, but maybe grew into no. his, his time there. I can't really yeah. say too much about him. I don't know if either of you can. I've, I, no, I don't know. I've, I've not heard of him before today, but, <laughs> but apparently he, he was the second coming he of was, Manuel Neuer, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah, I found some. We heard about an hour ago before we recorded this, so I just quickly put a Monaco game on. In fact, it was the last game of the season, and just whizzed through it and looked at some of his shots. And yeah, wasn't 
wasn't digging it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't impressed. He made a few errors actually. Uh, spilled the ball a couple of times. His handling wasn't very strong. I just. I just. Uh, bad vibes. I mean, like I say, I've whizzed through one game really quickly uh, and looked at it. But yeah, it was just bad time. You know, half an hour. Why, why did they? Why did yeah, that yeah, yeah. Out just before we record, we couldn't have that. Done yeah, else. it's fine. So. I did a bit of a search, like for what people have said about him, and you know, like credible like Twitter mm-hmm. accounts and stuff. And he was he was really hot at Schalke, yep. went to Bayern Munich, and it just feels like his money. You said this already, but his Monaco um, loan hasn't gone well, and I think he's stalled a bit. So it feels a bit like a uh, Victor Auto project, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that that could could well be something along those lines. Um, but it's interesting that that he came out and. And it obviously also he's got it's German, which obviously is something which Fark did do when he came to Norwich mm-hmm. brought in a couple a couple of German guys to come in. So I think we maybe should expect at least one German guy to join, just so he's got someone else yeah. who speaks his <laughs> native language. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. yeah, that's that's something to keep in mind as well. But yeah, there's some of the data for him looks all right. Um he's he stops crosses quite often, which I saw, but that wouldn't track with what you saw in, in the tape, Dan. But it could just have been a bad game, which you saw. Maybe he's better usually, but who knows. And he had a pretty good season, um, I think, last year. Uh, just looking at the data there for it, and his post-shot X- XG was against goals on target was pretty strong. I think even the like, 80, sorry, 92nd percentile for that. Um, so it seemed that last season he maybe had a better season. And that's all. So maybe he just had a bad season this year with... Um, you say Monaco it was. Right? So, uh, yeah. Monaco, yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe he did, did a bit better last year. I think that was also with uh, in, in League One. Who was it? Was with, yeah, it was with Monaco again last season. So possibly last season was a bit better for him than this season. But yeah. Monaco did themselves finish a bit higher last year as well. So it could be a team-related thing why he's not been as good this, year, this, this season. But we'll have to see what happens with that. And if he does end up signing, we will cover him a bit in more detail yep. and watch some more games when it happens but just one of those things it's always going to come out just before we record when <laughs> we can't do anything about nature it. of the industry indeed it is well here's a promise if, if it looks like it's a serious link down the line I'll, I'll i'll have a proper watch of him and i'll give him a chance to prove me wrong cool. okay that's a promise we'll hold you to that yeah millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. 
so moving on, we're going to talk about centre forwards. So, what does Daniel Farker want from his centre forward besides the obvious in scoring goals? Firstly, they should be capable of operating as a solitary striker, as Farker usually employs a system with only one. They should be confident on the ball and able to hold up the ball through either standard back to goal centre forward play or by being capable of carrying the ball in space, giving time for other players to be in position for him to lay off the ball. Uh, Farker likes his centre forward to have a good first touch and be able to play one touch pass in to aid quick attacks, break apart defences who sit deeper. This is something which Timo Puki was fantastic for in Norwich. Um, he's always he's, he's got such a good touch on him. Uh, he's just one of the, one of the best strikers in recent years in, in the championship, in my opinion. He's just such a fun player to watch. And lastly, they need to be able to lead the line and make good runs beyond the opposition defence in situations where the, the opponent is giving space. So a fair few things which they need to be good at more than some systems. Um, but the first player we want to talk about is a pretty hot property in the championship, and that is Joel Perot. He's coming off the back of two stellar seasons at Swansea, in which he has been their leading goal scorer, scoring 41 goals after signing for just over 1 million from PSV Eindhoven. Joel is only 23 years old and he's capped all youth levels for the Netherlands and very quickly made himself indispensable for Swansea under Russell Martin. He's played most of his career as a centre forward, but he's also played as a right winger and attacking midfielder when asked to. So, let's just talk a bit about what he's like on the ball. Um, so, what parts of pitch do you use most and how do you contribute to play away from the opposition box? I'll come to Adam first on this. Um, yeah, he's kind of like that weird hybrid between a number 9 and a number 10, which is to say that he likes to come deep for the ball sometimes and pick it up. Sometimes he'll find himself like on the last line to try and just be near the box to score. Um, I'm... I'm more of a fan of the type, especially with Pookie, who's someone just sort of like who run a lot laterally, either in possession or even out of possession. He just make intelligent runs in terms of carrying the ball just across the box, looking for a runner or a pass, or he would himself be doing those sorts of runs for people to pick him up with passes. And I don't think I've seen like loads of Perot doing that. Now, could that be coached? Probably. And I think that it's maybe a, a stylistic thing with Swansea, but in terms of like his all-round profile as a number nine, he is quite tall. He's he's like six two, six three. He's he's really quite tall, but he's just not like been tasked with constantly holding up the ball. He's quite good at linking up play back to goal. I think he's all right. It's just that he doesn't often and like want to hold the ball up. And even though he's he's that sort of tall, strong looking guy he doesn't do it loads and loads I think he prefers to sort of get involved with play a bit deeper and then then attack towards the box himself I think that's what I would say that's all fair just some relevant stats about him when it comes to on the ball Um, he receives a fair number of passes which would track with what you said there Adam he's in the 81st percentile he receives around 18 passes per 90 and when it comes to passing the ball himself he's in the 75th percentile for short to medium passes which is around 20.99 20.99 per game and his pass accuracy for that range is 86.78 which is extremely high for a centre forward he's in the 97th percentile so he's a striker who you think will be able to look after the ball when they're given it which is always a good thing uh, Dan do you have anything to add about him on the ball? Yeah I'd like to talk about that a little bit because this is kind of relative this is relevant in terms of what we saw yesterday I thought we struggled to play I mean I know it's one game of pre-season but we struggled to play through the middle and retain the ball in central areas I thought yesterday and one thing I think about Perot when I watched him was he's, he, he helped see I'm, I'm going to I'm going to argue with Rad. this is the first time Adam I'm going to argue with him I think his hold-up play is pretty good it's not traditional hold-up play that he's going up against a centre forward sorry a centre half battling with them getting hold of the ball and then click 
holding on to it until someone joins. He'll drop deep. I'll drop into a, a kind of a number 10 type position, receive it, turn. And I think he's pretty good at holding players off. He's quite a strong boy. He's a big, big guy, as you've already said. And I think his, his retention is really, really, really very good. Now, our retention wasn't great yesterday, admittedly against a very good team in Manchester United. But I think it could be handy, someone like Perot. I think he, he would really, really, really help with our ball retention if he was there playing nine or ten for us. Because, like I say, it's a real strong point of his. So I kind of think he his hold-up play is quite good, but it's not traditional hold-up play in the... In the I don't know the Hemel, Emil Heskey mold. <laughs> I'm trying to think about you know the Ivan Tony mold, mold, if that makes sense. In the traditional big guy who's going to battle with the you know battle with the centre centre halves and get his bum in the way kind of thing and back into them. It's, this is more he'll come and receive it and turn out of trouble and hold and hold the play and lay it off and move. So it's kind of a different type of hold of play. But I think it would really help with our, our retention. So that's one thing. My, my yeah. counter argument to it would be that if he's dropping into sort of deeper positions where you've already got three midfield, especially an attacking midfielder who's like looking to to get forward and support mm. Perot in the attack. I, I, you're kind of congesting that area is, is my take. Yeah. And that's my worry. So unless you're saying to maybe the the sort of more attack-minded number eight, number 10 to get beyond him, then I don't know if that works, but I don't even think we've seen much of that from Farker. So I, I, that's, that's kind of my take. Yeah, the way Swansea did it was, so I, I purposefully watched games towards the end of last season because Swansea were playing the front three quite a lot and he was playing nine rather than ten. Yeah. I think in the past he's played part of a pair or the ten. Mm-hmm. He was playing the nine and, and, and it was kind of a little bit reminiscent of kind of classic Liverpool a little bit with Bobby Firmino kind of dropping in and the wingers kind of running behind. Swansea kind of played that way with Perot kind of doing the Firmino thing, dropping in and the wingers were quite narrow. They weren't wingers really. They were inside forwards and they ran beyond him loads. So it kind of almost turned the 4-3-3 into a 4-4-2 diamond. You know the wingers became the two centre yeah. forwards, and 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 Perot kind of almost become the number ten. And the the midfield was structured in such a way so the wide, the wide eights, if you like, pushed up alongside Perot and and, and combined with the, with the pivot behind him, the six behind him, and and they combined that way. He'd lay it off, and then he would turn and get on his bike and get into the box and arrive, you know, and, and finish chances that way. So yeah, it's not it, it's absolutely not very Fark like, but. It's, it, it, Fark would have to adapt his system to make it work, but that's how it worked. And, and I, I think we kind of have the wingers that could adapt and play that way. I, you know, you can see Rutter, can't you, and James and Sinistera c- coming narrow and playing in field a bit and playing off him. In theory, no, that, I, I can't think I'm leaning towards more what Dan's saying that I think he probably would work well in a Fark side. I think it is something which Timo Pukki did did do on occasion. He did, he wasn't always holding the last line. He did drop drop, mm. drop deeper. In fact, in some of the opening games, he was playing as an attacking midfielder for them. And it, it's something which I think would work in Fark's system. I think he's got also got a, a fair amount of pace to him for a big guy. So I think he would be able to get back into a position to be able to lead the line. But also, I saw quite a lot of examples where he was leading the line quite effectively. I, I, I saw that he was able to make runs beyond the final man. Mm. It's just something that, he did, that I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's a Swansea thing or if it's a Joel Pro thing with the amount of time that he drops deep. I feel it's more a Joel Pro thing rather than a Swansea thing, but it could just be that they marry up so well that that's why they picked him. That's why they got him yeah. for Mindhoven. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of things about him which could work in a fact system, but I do think there is some things which he just needs to work on to maybe hold, hold the line a little bit more so we've got that presence up there. Um, but just with how secure he is on the ball for a striker, it's just... Mm-hmm perfect for a profession based system and mm. it's been comfortable doing it at Swansea and it's maybe a different style of professional play to what Swansea have been doing what Fark will want 
but I do think that he would be good, especially in wider areas. I saw he's very comfortable um, get uh, contributing to play in wider areas, which is good because that's something which Fart does do a lot. He does build up through wide areas, and I think he would be able to work in, in that sort that, of way quite well. That's what I meant about those lateral runs that Pookie used to do. That's yeah. exactly kind of what I meant, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's, he will be very good at that part of it, I think. Um, but yeah, I think we've covered him on the ball a fair bit here. So let's move on to his the finishing. fun stuff, yeah. Yes, the finishing. So um, we'll come to you again first, Adam. Um, what can you say to us about his finishing? Oh, where to begin with this? He's <laughs> he's amazing in this regard. And like, I might have been a tiny bit negative yeah. in, in what I said previously. But in this aspect, like, he's particularly like strong. Um one thing I, I watched that, like all his goals. I've seen a couple of his games back fully, but I watched all his goals for Swansea so far. And one thing that really struck me is um, how few touches he likes to have. He sort of likes to get the strike away within three touches, usually one or two, sometimes as many as three. It was rare that it was a goal that was more than that. Like I didn't see him getting played through on goal and taking a touch more than once or twice and usually it was like cutback or edge of the box he'd just get a shot away quickly as soon as he'd get out of his feet shoot that's all it was and I love that and his ball striking is particularly really really strong um, I think we have a couple of players in our squad that are, are good in this regard but he would come in as like our best player in that way like straight away uh, and just the repertoire of goals was, was really really wide and broad um, obviously he's left footed but there was a decent amount with his right for a few Absolutely world, he's with his right foot, to be honest. he He's very much two-footed enough um, that I wouldn't be concerned with him if he was on his right foot and having to shoot across goal or whatever. Um, a few headers, he's not particularly like stupidly strong in the air, but I think that's partly because Swansea don't like to get the ball up in the air too much. But when it was for a cross or you know anything towards the penalty spot or the back post, he was pretty good at um, getting a good contact on it and putting it in. But it's, it's those like when he really like smashes the ball like through the ball with his laces he's so so strong in that regard and it's not a surprise that he's put up really really good goals numbers and he's I think he's overshot his xg every season he's been at Swansea which uh, for some people obviously like be a bit of a concern longer term and stuff like that but I think at this level he's shown now for two seasons that it's not really an issue and and, and he is like just a really really strong finisher at this level like I think if we sign him I, I was really hiring like Victor Gierkerez. I think he's probably the best striker uh, in the championship last season, but Pirot is not far off. And in terms of just like pure finishing, he might be the best, um, which is a bold statement, but I think it's potentially true. And I think in a better team who play even better football, he could be like an even stronger player in that regard. It's like you're reading my notes, Adam. I've got pretty much word <laughs> for word exactly that. Yeah, I completely wholeheartedly agree. Um, particularly the 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 way he gets his shots away quickly, first touch, bang away. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely love that because it's a frustration that leads, isn't it? That we have we don't have many players that do that. You know, we like the fans grumble like mad, don't yeah. they? That we're uh, taking too many touches, and I think that's true. I think we do have players that like a touch. This guy, no, he just he just arrives, hits it, doesn't he? Laces for it first yeah. time, and yeah. When you watch the compilations of his goals, I watched some, some full games, but I watched compilations as well. And it's just the variety of goals, isn't it? Like you say, left foot, right foot, you know, arriving at the back, back stick, balls across the penalty box, long range goals. Just, yeah, really nice. Just really nice goal around. Yard, like anywhere near the box, he just wants to just smash it towards the goal. And it yeah. often works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah, that's something where I would echo what everything you've both said there. It's um, just, I'll talk a bit more about the data behind all this, and it all really much tracks with what you've been saying. Uh, his shots per ninety, he's in the ninety-first percentile. He gets off um, around two point nine nine shots per ninety, and xG per ninety is around eighty-fifth percentile, which is about around point four eight per game, which is a fair amount of xG. And so, yeah, he's just fantastic at getting shots away. He's, I, thought, I, th- I thought he's really good at creating space for himself. With, with the way he t- this, he'll touch the ball into an area and then just hit it first time. Just his touch to get into an area is so good. And I also liked his finishing when one on one. He just seems really, really cool and calm when he is finishing past it, past just a goalkeeper in front of him. And yeah, there's, there's nothing to complain about when it comes to his shooting, in my opinion. He maybe does. His shots on target isn't the greatest, at least by the data. Uh, it's around 42%, which is around 53rd percentile, so around average. But I think that's probably because he shoots quite a lot from distance. Mm-hmm. His his, his average um, distance from goal is around 17 metres, the average. So it's a fair amount. So he does take a lot of shots from outside the box, but he's good at doing them so he will score a fair few of them so I don't think that's something which Leeds fans would complain about too much is he's taking too many shots because as soon as anyone's outside the box Leeds fans are like shoot so and he will yeah. he yeah. will he'll just yeah. set himself and just shoot that's what he'll do he had a, he had a rep for bangers didn't he when he first came to Swansea I think he was he had a few goal, goal of the season contenders yeah. I think so I wonder if there's a bit of that in him. He wants to, you know, wants to get that award. Well, yeah, that that, that would track. In his first season at Swansea, he absolutely demolished his xG. Um, he put up twelve point one xG and scored twenty two goals. <laughs> so that so that's a full ten goals above his xG. So he, so he <laughs> must have been scoring a lot of long distance goals to so easily yeah. smash his xG there. But yeah, so then this season he was more closer to his xG. He put up eighteen point five. And scored nineteen. Yeah, so so only slightly slightly above his xG. So it's that's more promising. I like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's so that and also the average distance from his shots have also dropped. The first season it was seventeen point eight meters on average, and this season it was seventeen. So it shows that he's taking more shots, uh, which are more more valuable areas, rather than taking so many from range. So he will still shoot from distance, but. What maybe not as often as when he first tried, so that's a very good progression. I liked in the way he's deciding to take his shots. Um, but yeah, I don't, don't think any of us can have anything to complain about when it comes to finishing. Um, but what about when it comes to out of possession? So when the other team has the ball, is he a capable presser? Done. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I just got to hear pressing is pretty solid. Didn't feel like a super aggressive presser, but I don't think Swansea were either in general, so it's hard to. To, to you know, it's, it's team 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 instructions and what have you. But I think he was pretty good at kind of closing the pitch off and getting between the centre backs and forcing the ball wide. Yeah, it, it was just all kind of very fine, solid. I could see him happily stepping up and playing a slightly more intense pressing system. I think physically he could handle it. Um, and I don't think Fark's going to have us pressing super aggressively, is he? Or maybe situationally. And I think Perot could handle that. So no concerns. I wasn't like blown away by his pressing, but no concerns. Yeah, I agree yeah. with Dan. I agree with Dan there. Um, yeah, I think that his age. I think he turns twenty four next month, but like he's young yeah. enough to to sort of improve in that aspect as well. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think it's something which I think he would adapt to quite well because he's got yeah. he's got a good profile to physically to be to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. We'll come on. We'll come on to that that shortly. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't have it pressing data. That's something which we just can't get access to. Um, but he's. Uh, 
slightly above average for tackles and interceptions for his position, and also quite high for clearances, actually. I was hitting about, I think, the 80th percentile off the top of my head, um, which I would imagine is from him clearing balls from corners as he does play a part defending his own box. So, yeah. yeah, I noticed that, yeah. yeah. I noticed that he was on the line and, and dealing with some of the bigger guys in their position because he's yeah. pretty he should, strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a big unit, isn't he? Yeah, he's broad-shouldered, actually. He's not like... Like kind of like big square profile. So we're jumping ahead here out to the physical profile, but that's fine. We'll go with it. Yeah, I noticed kind of you know kind of like quite a meaty build, isn't he? Big broad shoulders, and I I I got the impression he could like put his body in the way and hold pull people off, and he could ride challenges. I noticed a couple of times he was carrying the ball. You know, he'd receive it in that kind of midfield position, turn and carry it before laying it off to his winger, and he's riding tackles off big centre half. So yeah, physically, I'm actually quite strong, surprisingly strong. I would, I would echo that, and I also thought he had a fair amount of pace as well. He wasn't Dan James' level of pace, but he was still a serviceable amount of pace. He won't be leaving defenders behind in dust, but he'll also hold his own in most foot races I've seen in the Championship. And also, I think he had a fair bit of stamina to him. I saw him making runs even late in games. So it's always a good thing. I don't think we have anything to complain about physically. Adam, do you have anything to say about him physically? No, I think the player that he sort of reminds me of in terms of build, it's a completely different position, but it's Rodri at Man City. Like, he's not like super like like broad-chested and like big-armed. Like, he's fairly good in that regard, but not massive, but it's more his shoulders are just huge. Like Dan says, he's just really square. And, and I think that does definitely aid him. But yeah, I, I agree with what you both said. Okay, and finally, um, how much would he cost? How many years has he got on his deal? I can't remember. Uh, let's have a quick look. Um, but I still would expect him to cost a fair amount with how much he's been doing for Swansea. Yeah. But yeah, he, he's got um, one year left. I thought deal. it was. I wasn't sure. Yeah. That in, yeah, yeah. So only one year left in his deal. So what do you think? I think he's an 18, 20 million pound player with, with three years in his yeah, deal. So, so maybe you might less. be talking sub 15, mm-hmm. 12, maybe maybe 12, 12 to 15. I think I agree yeah. with that, Dan. It, I think I'd go like 13 yeah, to 15 ish. Yeah. yeah. I think we might even get him for 12 if, if we're prepared to pay you know, most of it up front or something. Mm-hmm. You know, that type. Yeah, I could see that. Um, just, let's just hope that um, Southampton don't pip us to him. <laughs> yeah. Again, yeah. Yeah, that would be very fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, but yes, uh, he would be worth whatever we paid for him quite frankly and Swansea will be making the profit no matter no matter what because it only, only cost him around 1 million he will so. be selling this. they will be selling him this summer like the Swansea yeah. have resigned themselves to it they've just signed a striker yesterday not a similar profile Jerry Yates um, from Blackpool but um, you know they're, they're not going to be keeping him they're going to try and cash in get what they can um, I think we can probably get him for a, for a more reasonable fee like Dan says he'd probably be towards that 20 million mark if he had a healthy contract but he doesn't so I think this is the one that we should we should probably do if we can as quickly as possible, but we won't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're not, we're, I'm not going to resign ourselves to getting him. I'm, I would be very happy to get him, but I don't think we will. But we'll we'll see what's happened. Might get this we, guy though. Yeah, this next guy is um, one who is a much more achievable signing, in my opinion. <laughs> so next one we're going to talk about is Sam Surridge. Uh, Sam is in England on the 21 international. He's currently at Nottingham Forest, where he signed for a shot of two million from Stoke City. Prior to this, he has also played at Swansea and Bournemouth. Sam has never been able to settle regularly into first-team football at any of the clubs he's been in so far, playing as a squad player for most of his clubs, covering for injuries or making minutes off the bench. However, he so far has 86 appearances from the Championship, with 17 goals and 4 assists to show for it. However, in all those 86 appearances, he only amassed around 3,000 minutes, which equates to 
obviously around 34 full 90s played. So if you think of it that way, 34 full 90s with 17 goals and four assists, it's not a bad tally really. Um, but yeah, uh, disclaimer, the data in this next section that we're going to talk about is from FBRF and not Scout, as we only had Scout data for the 2022 Sorry, 22-23 season, and we didn't have Premier League there. So it's, it's from Sam's 21-22 season with Nottingham Forest. So let's talk about first of all what Sam's like on the ball. Um, we'll come to Dan first. So how does he look on, on the ball? Yeah, so the, the problem is I've watched him playing for Steve um, Cooper's Forest, and they're an, I, they're an absolute they're an eyesore. Um, <laughs> they play awful football. And he, he played in a... Um, he played in the two with Brennan Johnson, so I watched the, the in the champion. I watched some championship games from the year they got promoted. You know, they got in the playoffs. So he was playing in the pair, but Brennan Johnson tends to go off wide, so he's he's kind of almost a, a sole striker, which is quite handy, really. Um, very much plows the, the kind of central channel, trying to take care of the the main centre backs. He's very much on the shoulder of the last defender, looking for through balls. You know, and and to be fair, he's he's he's, he's kind of peeling away from the last defender and, and looking for through balls. His timing of his runs is really good, actually. That was his probably his strongest element. Sort of diagonal runs off to the side, off the, the outside centre back, that kind of thing. I think in terms of uh, build up play, I didn't see a great deal because Forrest were just pumping it over the top for him to chase. I saw him competing aerially, and actually I watched him against Bournemouth, and that Phillips dominated him uh, in, <laughs> in the air, actually, which is a good sign in that respect. But he, he does compete. He's quite a physical, he's quite a big boy. He's quite athletic, isn't he? You know, he's, he's kind of, what, 6'2", fairly muscular, kind of kind of lean, muscular kind of build. I think his movement's pretty good. His box movement is looking for space. You know, he's, he's pretty good at kind of finding space and getting away from his markers. Wasn't massively impressed with his hold-up play. I mean, I've put here, hold-up not as good as Perot. <laughs> Uh, straight away. I mean, it's it's more conventional in style than Perot, but yeah, it wasn't wasn't that great. But in terms of off shoulder and kind of a channel runner, really good, I would say. Yeah, I saw a few things which were a little bit different to you. I think maybe I thought tried to find games in which Forrest had more more of the ball, so I could right. so I could see more of him. But um, he played a lot in, in two striker systems, um, which I, I yeah. saw in my games because both Forrest and um, Stoke, who he was with in the twenty one twenty two seasons. We're playing two mm-hmm. two striker systems, and right. uh, at one point Forrest did switch to a, a sole striker system, but that was at the time when he was on loan at Stoke. So, so it's difficult <laughs> that the, there's no crossover between that, and then they went back to a two striker system when he came in. So, yeah, it was a w- weird one. But he, I think he's, he's uh, I say he's more, more like a target man for what he's called at play. He's, he does drop a little deeper on occasion, just to give an option for midfielders to pass to, and he will late back to someone else rather than car- carrying the ball um, forward but I also did notice a few times where he did carry the ball deeper so he, he would come deeper and, and then carry the ball backwards and so other players would run in behind him because he's got two strikers in the system so that was something which was good in that um, I think he generally keeps things simple with his passing and more focused on being in good positions to latch onto balls past the defensive line and I did think he was actually a a serviceable ball carrier. He wasn't. It didn't impress me as, yep. much, as much as Perot did. But I think for his size, and I, I think also he's got a relatively quick pace to him. I think. Mm-hmm. I think. I think. I think he's got good leg leg strength, which does help him to get get along quite quickly with the ball. And he was quite good at moving with speed with the ball as well while he's carrying it. So yeah, I, I, I did really enjoy that part of it. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you both said. I think the most impressive thing for me that from watching him is that he gives me a little bit of that that when Bamford was in before Bamford got injured loads when he was playing for us quite regularly in the season we went up in the first season in the Premier League as well. 
um his box movement was particularly good and surge gives me such vibes with that yeah. like his box yeah. presence and movement is really really nice it's just that his finishing is a little bit inconsistent and i don't always necessarily agree with his like like choice of shot uh, which is something that is such the opposite of perot like he just you know he chooses the right option every time with either foot i think sometimes um surge can be guilty of like choosing the wrong option um sometimes he's choosing the right option to shoot but just like the wrong type of shot or like the wrong moment to do or whatever and i think that's a bit of an issue but his, his general like presence and movement around the box and, and running the channels is is excellent and i've always liked that about him which is why he's a little bit of a bamford light it's just i think that maybe he's not quite as good at the hold-up stuff and that's probably the only like major difference yeah yeah, I've got here. He likes to peel away on the outside of the centre yeah, backs he does, yeah. and shoot, shoot shoot across goal, just like Paddy B in our first season in the there Prem. That's my comment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So to kind of touch on that, then we're talking about finishing now. What type of goals do you both think that he sort of likes to score? What's the kind of classic Sam Surridge goal, other than the one you've just mentioned there, Dan? Uh, I think he's very good when it comes to heading the ball. That's one thing which I'd, I notice with a lot of yep. his goals. I actually find it hard to find compilations of his goals. He's been for a few different clubs, so I don't think fans yep. like doing collections of goals for other clubs as well. <laughs> so, yeah, that, so I had to watch a fair few games and find the times where he's scoring. Um, but, yeah, they, quite a few of the goals that he scored were, head, were headers. So I think he's, he's quite good at aerial building. And also, I think from set pieces, I, I like the way he moves in set, on set pieces and especially one which I think Forrest did quite often I saw a few times this particular goal was he would sort of hang around just slightly slightly to the side of the goalkeeper and then the ball would be whipped to, to the back post and he'd sort of move just move backwards just, just a bit just so he's sort of like in the shadow of the goalkeeper so the goalkeeper didn't know he was there and then he can just simply just head it in from close range yeah. so so yeah it's one other thing which I did like was his aerial ability um, I felt that it was quite calm when he was 1v1 with the goalkeeper and his, move, yeah. his movement in the packed box was very good I, I felt um, yeah. he was, he's, he's quite instinctive with the way he finishes yeah. um, quite like a poacher in that in that sense it's in that, that's that sort of part of his play is different to what Bamford is with finishing because he's not good in a pat box. That's one of his of Paddy's weaknesses is in a pat box. He struggles to make those instinctive shots. But I thought that was something which Surridge was good with. And I also saw a few where he finished with his, with both his weak foot and his strong foot. So he's, he is capable of shooting with both feet. But I think he probably would prefer his right foot when it's possible to do so. Yeah. And also his data was quite good. <laughs> Actually really good. Uh, was, he's in the highest percentiles for a, a lot of the things which we're talking about yeah. um, let's just bring that up I don't have it to hands annoyingly why didn't I like this well yeah I'm like <laughs> you had point yeah non-penalty goals it was 0.61 per 90 wasn't he which is 96 yeah. percentile yeah. now was that from the his championship season yeah um, yeah. yeah shots per season 3.55 which is 97th percentile so 3.55 per 90 shots on target 51.9 percent which is 89 percent now so really good basic good shot good, good shot volume yeah and getting a good number on them on target i mean in terms of i didn't see a great deal of variety in his finishing that's one thing i was looking mm-hmm. for when you're watching perot for example keep comparing loads of variety sam storage great in the air yeah i agree i saw him score a couple of good headed goals and, and great movement and he kind of i thought he, he strikes the ball best when it's kind of he's got a bit of space and it's out in the open so he's peeling away from the center back and the ball's in front of him he's able to strike his his feet through the laces so it's like he's got you know he, he, he gets up to speed and he can hit the ball at pace when he's running quick and running onto the ball and hitting it so uh, uh, and 
and like you say, in a packed area, the ball's got to be in front of him. So I just I wonder about his, his dexterity if it's kind of the ball's awkward or, or slightly behind him and digging it out and getting a shot away. I wonder about that kind of stuff. Where, but yeah, but I think not like a nice clean striker of the ball, particularly if, like, like I say, particularly if it's in front of him. So. Yeah, I think I would agree with what he said there. I think I did see one example when I was watching him where he's um, the ball was crossed into him quite low, and he tried to hit it, and he just sort of scuffed it totally. It just reminded me yeah. so much of some of the times when Bamford has tried to hit those sort of shots and just misses the ball totally. So yeah, that, that he has got that in him. So he's definitely not as good at finishing as what Perot is. Um, Perot just has so much variety in the way he can finish up yeah. and finish. It's just night and day, really. But I do. Yeah, Perot technically a level up in all aspects of football, I would say. Yeah, because he, he got he's just more secure with like his touch to set himself and gets it out. I yeah. don't think Surridge does that consistently. I don't think he's always like setting himself right. He's maybe a bit more awkward and and a bit more rushed. I yeah. would say. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how would you two like value him out of possession? I think that something that I've I've noticed with him is he's pretty willing runner, pretty hard worker. Again, we don't have the data for this, but like it's just something that that I've always noticed with him. Like he he sort of runs himself into the ground for the team. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Forest aren't really a very pressy side, or at least they weren't in the games which I saw. So it's difficult to see. But I do did see quite a few moments where he was aggressively pressing. Uh, especially goalkeepers, he does yeah. quite like quite to charge down goalkeepers, not um, charge them down and then foul them like Dan James. But yeah, he did, he was willing to charge down players when, when they're on the ball and just to uh, really put them under pressure. So I do, I do think that he is capable physically of being the, a, a good presser. It's just maybe many may, may time the way he presses. I did notice sometimes that he was maybe going a bit too straightforward onto, on, onto the players he was pressing, which made it a bit easier for them. Whereas rather doing that sort of curved run, which Bamford does, which sort of eliminates um, passing options as you're going, that's the sort of thing that I think you'll need to be taught more. Mm-hmm. Done? Yeah, I would agree. I would basically say, yeah, really will- willing presser and runner and worker. Yeah, just a bit basic, but I think it's like you say, it's just little things like timing and curving his runs and. And cutting the pitch off, he could learn. I think a good pressing coach would turn him into a good presser. Yeah, no concerns with that at all. I think, yeah, like I say, I watched Forest and they don't press a lot, but I saw a, a, willi- a willing, working, go- willing, hard working forward there in him. So, yeah, no concerns at all. Yeah, I'd agree with all that. Um, we've also kind yeah. of touched on what he's like physically, not just the, the the intensity that he runs at, but he's also quite a strong guy, which is a shame for his hold up play because yeah. his hold up play is not great, but he's around 6'2 ish. And he's he's pretty well built, so you'd think that he should probably be a little bit better in that regard. But we've kind of touched on that. How much do you reckon he'd he'd cost them both of you? Because I think he's moved for a couple of million each time he's left um, a club to go to a new one. So would it probably be more of the same, or what would we think? Yeah, I I don't think it'd be a lot of money. Um, I think Forest are going to be wanting to sell sell a fair few players um, because um, obviously we all know they signed everyone <laughs> <laughs> last last season. So I, I don't think it would cost. A right lot to get him away from Forest. I know he's not been been there for too long, but I do think that he would want to cost maybe at most four or five million. So it'd be a really low risk option for a player who will score goals, even if it is just as a backup. He would definitely score goals. Um, it's whether that's what he wants at this stage of his career. He may well be wanting more of a of a, of a first team role. And I do think there is teams in the championship who would want him as mm-hmm. a first first team regular. And I don't think he'll get that with us unless he is the only striker that we do sign. And and whoever we decide to try up front doesn't work out, and then he he could well get more minutes. But yeah, or Pampers just injured all the time again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's uh, also more, more than possible. 
But yeah, I, I can't see him costing a right lot, to be honest. Dan? Yeah, well, I, I had three million written down. I mean, there was a media report of 2.2 or 2.5 million, which seemed very, very low. And at that price, I'm like, yeah, get him, pick him up just for the squad, ideal. But I've also got, I wouldn't spend a lot of money on him. I mean, I wouldn't really go beyond four, maybe five. I wouldn't go beyond five on him. Like I say, he's a, he's a championship squad player for a, a, a promotion chasing team. He's, he's a lead the line guy for Millwall. <laughs> type type level player, you know, like Millwall should sign him. It'd be ideal for them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sorry, this is wrong podcast, guys. But he's like, um, talk so, a lot about Millwall today, aren't you? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. What is it? Yeah. So I would like if we want a Bamford analog and we want someone to cover for Bamford or even replace Bamford if Bamford goes, then no, no problem mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. But I, I think we should be aiming higher for our primary strikers, is what I would say. But absolutely fine as a squad player. He's a good squad player, good runner. He'll, he'll do a job, yeah, and and perhaps perhaps if Flurry. But perhaps he flourishes, you know, if he gets given the chance somewhere to play every week. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with all that. I think sort of three to four mm. million, probably, hopefully a bit less, but probably about the right region we're talking here. It's just that I would rather yeah. sign a star and sign someone who, like Perot, who I think goes straight into the first team, straight into starting 11, you know, yeah. straight away. And Bamford then doesn't have to be relied on. Whereas if you get Surridge, you kind of maybe share in the minutes between them. And that's what my concern might be. But yeah. I think that's it, unless there's anything else you wanted to add. No, I'm good. No, I'm happy. Cool. Um, so, yeah, some other players we considered talking about were some guys I liked, particularly uh, Ross Stewart, I think, is someone who some people will be aware of at Sunderland. He is a pretty good all-round number nine. He's not really refined in terms of his ball striking and his finishing's not like the most... He's, he's a good finisher because he scores a lot, but his... Um, He's sort of general, and he's because of his positioning, I would say, rather than his ball striking. That's what I would say about him. But he's a good player, whereas I'd say maybe a little bit more at the opposite with Archer, Cameron Archer, who was on loan at Middlesbrough last season, who was excellent. He got 11 goals and six assists in only 17 appearances. Really, really good numbers on loan from Aston Villa. He's an excellent finisher, really, really nippy, like runs the channels well. One of England's best prospects right now. Probably will be looking at another loan from Villa unless a championship team pays a lot of money. Whereas Stewart, he's in the last year of his contract at Sunderland, so quite a few teams in the championship might be like interested in him. And he got 10 goals and three assists in just 11 games for his injury last season, so he was flying for them. And then the other one was um, another Swansea player, Liam Cullen, who got eight goals and one assist from 29 appearances, but only 13 of those were 90s. And he's a, a sort of young striker that's been coming through and has done quite well, but he's mainly used off the bench. So I don't know how ready he would be for us to start in the first team. I think out of those three, Ross Stewart's probably the most like profile-wise, the one I would want the most. He's a really, really good all num- round number nine, like could lead the line. I think he'd be pretty good for a lot of teams as the lone striker in this division. Anything you want to add there? Yeah, I mean, I like Stuart when I've seen him. Kind mm. of my, my view of him, like um, a bit like Bamford, those kind of deep runs from from you know running in behind quite a lot, quite a nice finisher. Yeah, just just. But I always thought he'd be like a volume guy. He's, he's a guy that gets lots of shots away. Yeah, do you know, I think he is because that's my vibe. Yeah, he's not like I said, like the the most consistent ball striker. You can shoot quite well in terms of he can get hit quite hard, but it's not always like. Often he gets a clean strike on goal, but he just gets a lot of shots in. Yeah, yeah. I like Stuart. Yeah. I mean, everyone was raving about Archer last year, but the Borough. Yeah, yeah. I think he's probably just beyond us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if we could get Archer on loan, I think that would be a fantastic signing. Um, Yeah, Yeah. I think that that would be one which I'd be excited to see. But uh, Ross Stuart. that also depends on how well he's recovered from his injury yeah, because of that was, um, was it Achilles that he did? Or was yeah, it was. It was, it was yeah. for a while. 
Yeah, so that's always a bad injury to recover from, and we already have one striker who's <laughs> perpetually injured, so we, we don't maybe want to sign another one. But his numbers were extraordinary for Sunderland, if I'm honest. Uh, just looking at some of the numbers, just his FP ref profile is just entirely green, nearly. He's just non penalty goals, uh, assists, shot creating actions, passes attempted, uh, touches in the Penalty box. If, if he stays fit and they keep like the supporting cast around him, he, they're yeah. going to be strong next season, Sunderland. And if he stays, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those numbers from those are just all in the 90th percentile. It's just like really high. <laughs> I think that's probably because he only got just over a thousand minutes and did did quite a lot in that opening part of the season. So those numbers would probably tail down um, from from a full season, I would imagine, because I don't think he would have kept up that quite record which he was doing at the start of the season. But he would be be a reasonable option, but maybe one we want make one step away. We want someone who's guaranteed availability, really, don't we? Yeah. But good stuff. That's um, about everything for tonight. So we hope you've enjoyed, and we've got some more pods coming up soon. We're not 100% sure what it is that we're doing next week, but we've got something fun for you coming up next week, if I believe, if it is the one which I think we're going to do, but I won't spoil it just yet. Um, but I'd like to say, first of all, thank you very much to Dan. No worries, mate. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, thank you very much to Adam. Thanks, mate. I am looking forward to seeing you both in the flesh this weekend. Yes, that's another thing to briefly mention. We've got at the Alltats that we meet up at the weekend. Uh, so some guys from the Discord who, who with will be meeting up. We've about 15, 16 of us, I believe, who are going. Um, so, yeah, uh, if if you're in Leeds on Saturday, head to White Locks in the evening. We'll, we might, might be there. <laughs> it's going to be like a hundred people just descending on White Locks now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, th- thank you all for very much for listening today, and we hope to have you back next week. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.